0: I'm You're the man
1: of the world. Hey, if there's anything I can do to help, huh? What about the forced to Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q and A. My name's Doug. so this week's special bonus interview is with an actor from one of our favorite sequels that we've covered and that we will ever cover and that is Death Wish three. We were lucky enough to do a collaborative interview with a really cool dude with a great Twitter account. His name is Chris Roush and Twitter account is Charles Bronson Tweets and you can follow him at Bronson Tweets 9. I'll put all the information, any links that we talk about into the episode notes as always. And he said, hey, you guys, I loved your Death Wish 3 episode and your interview with the Giggler. So I have somebody for you to interview. And I was mind blown when he said... Rodriguez actor Joe Gonzalez one of my favorite characters in the movie because in the series Paul Kersey does not have any sidekicks so he's really great throughout the movie but the ending scene and he even gets to save Paul he saves him through the window boom he saved Paul Kersey and not many people can say that <laughs> so Joe is great to talk to because his experiences from Death Wish three. You know, working with Charles Bronson, Michael Winter, Alex Winter, and just so much more. And then also later in his career, he always wanted to be a writer as well. So he has some stories about, you know, writing on Bosch, even some of his time working on all the Law and Order shows, and just so much more. Joe's a great dude. And he was lucky enough to sign some 8x10s for us. So we're going to be running some contests over the next few months. So make sure you follow us on social media, on Twitter. We're, of course, at sequels only. And then Chris's Charles Bronson Twitter account is at Bronson Tweets 9. Again, all in the episode notes. So I'm going to shut up because prepare for some amazing behind-the-scenes stories from Death Wish 3 and lots more. Told by actor Joe Gonzalez. Hey, hey, Joe.
2: So let's... uh. Introduce ourselves. I'm Chris Roush. Chris, my pleasure.
1: Thank you for doing this. Joe, I'm Doug. Huge fan, dude. Death Wish Three is like one of those movies that me and my dad always had. That he loved Bronson movies. Like he showed me Death Wish the first one at a way too young of age, and then right. the third one is just the most fun one yeah. to watch. So this is such an honor.
0: I love that you have the poster behind you, Doug. It's green screen technology. Very cheap. Ha. <laughs> yeah. And I see that you dug out a, uh, a Law & Order still. Yes, I found it online. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm in trouble.
1: <laughs> and I just bought this on eBay for oh! two bucks.
0: <laughs> you got you to transfer that to DVD right away. <laughs> no way.
1: <laughs> Box cover art, that's like something that people will never get. Like, you never get duped by a movie cover anymore. You oh, can yeah. watch like <laughs> seven different trailers. Oh, it's sure. not like
0: the way it used to be, you know? Yeah, I have the same poster that you have behind you. I, I even emailed uh, Chris a, a copy of that. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I sent them to Doug. Yeah.
0: That was awesome, man. Yeah. So,
1: Joe, what we like to do is me and Chris met each other online. He's okay. a IR Charles Bronson fan. All right. And I didn't even know it was him that was behind the account because he followed me on Twitter, too. Oh, okay. The Bronson Twitter account, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's kind of mind-blowing. So, what I like to do is – When I talk to people like your uh, former nemesis, uh, Kirk Taylor, the giggler. Well, Kirk Taylor, yeah, sure. I love to hear how people started. So your journey began in New York. What part of New York did you grow up in?
0: I grew up in the South Bronx. Uh, I was on 141st Street and St. Ann's Avenue, deep in the boogie down. And I kind of lucked out in the biz. Um, I started out doing just plays as a kid. And then I lucked out uh with commercials. What type of commercials were you in? Yeah, I was the I was the Dr. Pepper guy before the Dr. Pepper guy was the Dr. Pepper guy. <laughs> there was, I remember the audition was about 120 kids, and the line was, Hey Mikey, you want a Dr. Pepper? And then when he reaches for it, I'm supposed to pull it back and go, Oh yeah? And nobody can get the line. I'm the only one that got the line. And I got the job. So Started out there. Then Michael Winter came to New York and was casting. And I was actually up for the bad guy, the the, the role that uh, Gavin O'Herlihy, oh, uh, okay. finally took. My agent said, do you sure you want to be a bad guy? I said, look, I just want to work and get paid. Yeah. So he says, all right, well, if, if he hires you for the bad guy, take the job. But it turned out at the third audition, well, I should say the third callback, he says that uh, we're gonna change your job. You're hired, but we're gonna make you a Bronson sidekick. I said that works for me too. Nice. You know that's pretty much it. To continue to work after uh, Death Wish three, I thought my career would take off. I had Jeff Goldblum since he was in the first
2: mm-hmm. and Fishburne um, in
0: the second. Yeah, and uh, but that wasn't the case. And but that's the the reality of Hollywood, and, and I'm okay with that. So I went back to school, reinvented myself. Because I figured if I could write the roles, I'd never be out of a job. Worked on the original Law and Order from t- 1999 until 2010, when the when the Gray Lady went down. Became uh, executive assistant to Eric Overmeyer when he was running Treme on right. season two. Uh, ended up working for him on Bosch uh, for I Amazon. Love Studios. Bosch. I'm a huge Bosch fan. Yeah. Uh, It was what a great experience. Uh, Worked on seasons one and two. I worked with some amazing writers, Andrew Schneider and uh, Diane Froloff, uh, George Pelicanos, uh, William Fords, Eric himself, Eric O, a bunch of great writers on that show. And I learned more in, in, in that first season than I did in the two and a half years of film school. Wow. So, and the same thing with being on the set at, at Law and Order. I, I learned more in that one set at one year as a PA than in the two and a half years of film school, and kind of got mad at my nice. film school
2: after that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only way to learn, really. Is just, yeah? You know, tell me about it. Hands on, yeah. How old were you when you got the the role of Death Wish? Were you Whew. early
0: twenties? Uh, maybe I would say. Um, Late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. It was was 85, 86. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, we shot four weeks in Brooklyn. And then we shot seven weeks in London. Production just upped and moved. We were at the neighborhood of Elephant and Castle. And we were shooting on the old Lambeth Hospital that was now going to be razed to the ground for uh, some kind of development. But... Uh, we uh, we got permission to actually shoot on the grounds, and you can tell if uh, I can tell anyway. As you watch the scenes from Brooklyn cut into the scenes from Lambeth, I can tell where the differences are. Nobody knows them, but that's I, I thought that was the work of the editor. He did a good job.
2: Yeah, I, I thought they did a pretty good job recreating a, a bombed out section of Brooklyn. Yeah. Know, for, for that movie. But uh, but you, as a native, you know, you probably noticed a lot of like little little differences here. Oh.
0: Total. You, you yeah. can see it all. I mean, I knew it, but it was nice that the you know the the fantasy continued on either side of the ocean.
2: Yeah, were you were you a fan of any of the, the Charles Bronson of the Death Wish movies before
0: you you got the role? Well, I was a fan of Charles Bronson from Magnificent Seven. Uh, nice the mechanic. God, there's a bunch of his stuff that I love. Uh, I mean, all his work, I pretty much loved. At at at, at this time though. Charles didn't need the money anymore. He was no. he was so set. But he liked to work. And he liked yeah. to be in front of the camera. And uh, my first day on set with him, I was shitting bricks. Oh, I, can I say that? Yes. Say, is that okay? Please do. Yes. Because oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. I'm going to be standing next to Charles Bronson himself. And he was so gracious and so... A gentle human being, a gentle person and a professional. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like took me under his wing, which was awesome. So then after that initial first day, that I, I was I was set. I, I was starstruck and I was having a great time. And I think the the greatest experience for me on that show was that when we were in London, um Michael Winner had a private chef cook cook the lunch so it would be him uh his dp charles his wife jill daughters and me and i would say because charles would say joe come eat come have lunch and i'd go and have lunch with michael winner and charles and his and jill Ireland and the girls and the dp wow with his private chef and i was like meanwhile everybody else is eating at catering you know i was like oh my god what did I do? What did I do? I, that was really, that was one of the highlights of, of being on that show. So you were a made man on the set. Oh my God. God. It was
2: touchable! I <laughs> was cool.
0: trying that and I was trying not to be full of myself. I was trying to be. Super yeah.
2: How, how was it uh, working with winner? Cause I've read that he was, didn't get along with anybody really.
0: Well, here's the thing. He, he came from the old British film world. And he started out as a as a runner. He would take negatives from set and take it to developing. He started out as a kid and came from nothing, came from poverty, and then he became he made his his own success. You know, Uh, so he was a little bit on the eccentric side, and uh, but but I felt myself fortunate in that I only got yelled at one time, and that was in Brooklyn when I had let my beard grow longer than it was the first time we shot and he came over and he says what's that on your face joseph and i said uh, he's not no 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 he calls over the hair and makeup people and they shaved it down but other than that I, he never screamed at me but he was a screamer yeah he was yelling and screaming
2: how was his relationship with
0: uh, charlie oh oh he would kowtow he would count out with all the stars. And you know, the, the woman that paid my that played my wife, you guys know from Star Trek The Next Generation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marina Sortis. Yeah. She played my, he would count out to her. He was pretty good with the stars. Um, he wasn't so nice, but with the background. Uh I have an anecdote, but I don't know if I can tell you this, because it's it's loaded with profanity, but you tell oh, me. Go for it. It's okay. Fine. Okay. 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 All right, so we're shooting in Lambeth. We're on the set, and the scene is there's a fire truck that comes up to set, yeah? And there are six firemen on the back of the truck. So Winner tells three of them, when it gets to this point, three of you jump off. When it stops, the last three jump off. And the background guys couldn't get it right. Two would jump off. One would jump off. Five would jump off. One would stay on. And it went like that for a couple of takes. And winner was losing it. So he goes over to the six and he pulls them to the side and he's yelling at them. He says, okay, one, two, three, you're cunts. One, two, three, you're assholes. When I say cunts jump off the truck, cunts jump off the truck. When I say assholes jump off the truck, assholes jump off the truck. And everybody was aghast because it was like, whoa, really? Oh my God. But it was a closed set. We were on the hot on the hospital grounds. So they set up the shot again. The firemen get on the back of the truck. And just before they're about to pull into the scene, one of the firemen jumps off and runs back to Winner and says, Mr. Winner, Mr. Winner, I forgot what I was. And Winner yells, You're a cunt, you asshole. And the set exploded in laughter and on the next take they got it so that was Michael Winter on set with the battle okay wow <laughs> now Joe when I talked to Kurt
1: you gotta think at that time Charles is I think 63 yeah ish he was pushing it yeah so during that scene when the giggler takes the the camera Kirk said they did a couple takes and he goes to me, pull Kirk aside. He said, come on, shove me a little harder. And Kirk's like, man, I don't want to like hurt this guy. You know, yeah. I'm younger. <laughs> I'm in good shape. Was there anything you saw? You, like you said, he didn't need the money. He was right. just putting out these movies that people were going to watch. And they're great yeah, anyway. They, Canon knew that he was the vehicle. Yeah. Oh, he
0: was. He carried them for five films. He did. Yeah. Golden and Globus, those, those producers, those Israeli producers, he carried them for a long time. So was there something that you noticed
1: him do on set? Cause there in this one, there were some scenes, like even the jail scene, yeah. he was pretty much fighting these guys swinging punches <laughs> at 63 ish years old.
0: It's unbelievable. Well, he, he was a little slower at that, at that time. Cause 85, 86, like I said before, he was pushing his age, Yeah, but he was still in great shape. He didn't have a, you know, an ounce of extra fat on him. He was, he had a washboard and everything. And uh, I, I was uh, I had we have a scene where we turn the corner and we run after the bad guys, and I slowed down because I noticed that I was just a little faster than Charles, and I said, "Don't embarrass him." I'm saying to myself, "Don't embarrass him. Don't embarrass him." <laughs> so I just slowed down so that he could keep up. And what was great was that winner instead of having Charles run first and then me come after he let me lead and and I was you know humble enough to to, to realize that I wasn't going to embarrass the star by, by that way yeah. but yeah he was I mean uh, he was he was about being physical uh, there was one episode we're in Lambeth we're on the hospital set and it's the scene where we're on the stairs. And we've got the thirty caliber, and I'm feeding, and he's shooting. And all the background, there's a camera above us, and it's shooting over us. And there's a bunch of background actors downstairs. And they're throwing stuff. We're on the second floor. And they're throwing bottles, and they're throwing rocks. But they're all told, throw everything to the first floor. Don't throw anything up. One of the background actors throws a bottle, a regular glass bottle. And it hits the post in front of Charles's face and glass shatters and covers his face and mine. So now we're doing this, right? And winner is freaking out because <laughs> we don't know the, the extent of, you know, the, the injury, is anybody injured? So Charles doesn't have any injuries. I don't have any injuries, but Charles, so who threw it, pointed him out and that person was gone in a, in the, in the, in the span of five minutes, he was gone. So I was wow. like, "Oh wow, star power!" Okay, I get it.
2: He's the guy who got shot first.
0: Uh, he might not have. I, I don't even think he even made it into the film. He might have made it into the film later on, but mm-hmm. uh, in, in the editing. But when we shot that, he was gone right there, right there in wow. that. He was escorted right off the set.
2: It looked like a lot of fun, like especially oh. guys were just running around with that. Giant big ass oh.
0: gun, just mowing <laughs> <laughs> people it, down. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. The only regret I, ever, I had was that they gave me that little shotgun, zip gun. Yeah, what on, was that? Something. Give me what was me that? A or something. Yeah. They give gave me that little that little ghetto shotgun pump shotgun thing. I was like, come on, guys, give me a gun. But it worked. You saved you saved Kirstie's life with it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I blew somebody out of a out of a window. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how about
1: like the stunt wise, like those movies, that's why I love 80s films, because there is so many parts of this movie when you get the guys, when you guys are mowing them down, when they're in the, the fire escape and you right. see the guy gets shot and they do like the toe walk over oh, or yeah. when you were talking about the fire truck, when that yeah. building's burning and you see people still in there when yeah. it's all smoke and jumping off, what what was it about that that he wanted to do when
0: Oh, he just wanted to add a little uh, gravitas to it. There was one uh, scene I came to set on a day when I didn't have to work. I just wanted to watch the stunt guys work. And there was one stunt guy who gets blown out of a window, rolls down an incline of like an eave or a a gable, and then down onto the floor. And he he was like the, the best stunt guy they had. And when he came off of the eve, the angled eve out of the window, he missed the cushion and caught himself halfway. So half of him made the, the mattress and the other half missed. And we heard this him, it was the wind was knocked out of him, but it was this sound like huh? and we thought he was dead because of the height that he came down. And then we all rushed toward him and he was OK, but it was the scariest thing. And Michael Winner would push the envelope with the stunt guys. But that guy scared the hell out of me because I thought he had just killed himself.
2: Yeah, I, I can't think of his name right now, but he I, he, he wrote a book about his um, his career in the stunt industry. Ah, okay. and he wrote a lot about that particular stunt where he got hurt.
0: Yeah, I was there. Yeah, that's yeah, great. And, and I, I thought, I you know, just witnessed somebody, a colleague, uh, lose his life on set.
2: Yeah, yeah. But you worked with a lot of other great people like Martin Balsam, who was who Yeah, it? Martin Balsam was fun. Ed, Ed Lauder, Alex fun. Winter, yeah.
0: Alex Winter Alex Winter was, it always made me laugh. Tony Skiridakis. Yeah, but here's the thing I had the most fun I had was with Gavin O'Hurley. And you know, Gavin mm-hmm. is Ed O'Hurley's he's son. Right? And oh, wow. you'll know from Failsafe, Sidney Lamette's movie Failsafe. He plays General yeah. Black. And he also plays the head of the corporation in the first RoboCop, the one that fired. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. That fired, okay. That's Gavin's yeah. dad. Oh, okay. So Gavin O'Hurley comes from Hollywood Royalty. Didn't so, I knew on that? the days that Gavin didn't work and I didn't work, Gavin lived on a houseboat on the Thames. And he says, come on, Joe, we're going to take the boat for a ride. And we would go up and down the Thames on the houseboat and eat and drink and just have a great old time. And when I wasn't working, I was the biggest tourist out. I would go see everything I could see. Went down to Brighton. I went to Stonehenge. I did the military museums. My first adventure on my first day was stepping off the curb and looking for cars coming from my my left. Yeah, <laughs> jump back! Oh my god, and and the the driver that, that picked me up at the airport was such a gracious guy, hardworking uh, Brit. He says he picks me up, and and you know how you travel from east to west? Right? I'm sorry, from west to east. You travel at night, right? So the, my my flight took off at 7 p.m. on uh, whatever night that was, and then landed the next morning. Mm-hmm. In London. So I had a great flight, British Airways. I, I was drunk as a skunk. And I get to uh, customs and they say, So are, are you here for business or pleasure? And me, I'm I'm pumped up. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be on a movie with Charles Bronson. I'm here for business. And the customs guy says, Great, let me see your work permit. <laughs> Oops. Uh, my what? Work permit. I instant sobriety. Instantly so instantly sober. I can't get into the country now. So luckily the producer turns the corner and he says, I've I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. He brings the work permit over. Get in the car. Guy takes me to my hotel, Uh, drops me off. And he says, Joe, what are you, are you working today? What are you doing? I said, nothing. I'm just, you know, I'm here. He says, why don't you come to my pub? Oh my (laughs) God. So I go to the pub. And he introduced me introduces me to his neighbors you know all the people that live in the neighborhood and all the people that that he goes drinking with so me I was ma- I was earning more in per diem than this guy was earning in a week right and I, I didn't let I didn't let him know that but what I did as I went to the bartender and I said, "What's the custom here you know like for tipping and all that stuff he says no no you want to buy you want to buy people a drink I said, okay cool." And my per diem was enough to buy the house a drink. So I said, I'd like to buy everybody in the pub a drink. And his eyes lit up. He said, cool, not a problem. So everybody got a drink. Uh, They all toasted Joe the Yank. I was Joe the Yank. (laughs) So now I'm thoroughly sloshed. And I I don't even remember getting back to the hotel. But I woke up. I was in the hotel, got dressed, ate breakfast, started walking down the street because I want to see a little bit of London. And I'm hearing from across the street, Joe the Yank! Hey, Joe the Yank! It's people I don't even know yelling Joe the Yank, hey, Joe! I'm Joe the Yank. In those in those seven weeks in London. The best experience I've had, the uh, most fun i ever
2: had. That sounds like a blast, yeah. Oh,
0: it's so good.
2: <laughs> Some of the other, you, you mentioned her earlier, um, uh, Marina Certis. Uh, right. Do you, she was in a winter film before this. Yeah, The I, Wicked I, Lady. Yeah, yeah. But she was, she really was like a mute in this, uh, in this one. Was that, was that in the script? Is that like
0: what her role well, was supposed to be? Here's the thing. I mean, I had a lot of fun on the show. The script was not the greatest script. Mm-hmm. Not to beat up the screenwriter too much, or the screenwriters too much. Um, so they didn't give her much. I think uh, Winner was a little bit base in that all he used her for really was for, for TNA uh, uh-huh. on screen. And I think we only worked maybe two days out of the seven weeks that we were there wow. um, because, because when she was being attacked, that was done on a closed set. And thank God it was mm-hmm. uh, because I, I mean, I read the script and I was like, wow, really we're doing this. And we did. Uh, so I, am glad that they, they did that. And the only people on set were winner, uh, the DP, his assistant, uh, maybe hair and makeup and the hair and makeup for females. So yeah, I mean you know they they just abused her on screen. So yeah, she was she was uh, her role was semi minuscule. Yeah, what? look what she look what she went and did. Yeah, really. You know, she did TNG and she also did uh, Crash. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. For, uh, for um, oh, what's his name? I forget who the writer's name is.
1: No, I should know It's a pretty big time guy that did Crash.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she went on and did that. She's done a bunch of other stuff. She doesn't have to worry about anything else. She's got all those residuals coming from TNG. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, of course. And just the bedside manner in these movies, like this in the fourth one, like they right. call and they say, Oh, Maria, she's okay. She just broke her arm. And then five minutes later, she's dead. She's dead. <laughs> she's fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like that. They yeah. do that in the fourth one, too. They're like, Oh, your daughter, OD, but she's going to be fine. And then, yeah, she's, she's okay. Fine. She's okay.
0: The only thing is that she's dead. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Slight complication. You don't want to make Bronson mad. (laughs) So when the movie wrapped, was there like a big premiere anywhere? Did you go to with everyone?
0: No. I know that um, I was living in uh, Flatbush at the the time. And uh, the movie premiered in New York. And I went to one of the one of the Brooklyn cinemas with my friends because they all wanted to see it and they wanted me to go with them. So I went with them uh, to watch it there, but there wasn't a, wasn't a huge premiere. It was more just a blanket opening, but it, even that was fun. Cause after that okay. we went and ate and got drunk and had a good time.
1: <laughs> what was it like seeing yourself on screen, especially your role throughout the movie is great, but I watched it again last night. It's like the final 18 minutes of the movie is just certified. Badass mayhem.
0: <laughs> It's weird. I'll tell you why. When you speak, you don't actually hear how you sound to other people, right? And then when you hear yourself on screen, it's like, "Is that me? Do I talk like that? Do I sound like that?" So it's kind of weird. But over the years, I've gotten used to that.
2: <laughs> Your character just disappeared at one point too, and, and that that whole well,
0: you, that, was just- that was that that was that script when yeah, okay. another, I the line was. Uh, I got to get more ammo, or I'm out of ammo. yeah. More bullets. Yeah, you ran out of, out of cells, bullets. and I run off, and I'm looking at the script. And I'm reading the script and say, "Well, when do I come back?" And it's the almost the, the last scene when he's driving out, and I'm leaning up against a a lamppost, yeah. you know, with uh, one of the kids at my feet. And I was like, "Really? Okay. Well, you're paying me. I'll take it." Was it was that supposed to be your son? I, I was never. No, quite- I don't know. He was just one of the neighborhood sure. kids. Okay, supposed to be one of the neighborhood kids. Mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah
1: but just the music at the end too it's already cool but then when you have to get the bullets and then ed louder shows up and saves them and the way they're turning the corner it is like watching like a bronson like old school western just oh, yeah. set yeah in you know new york it's well it's it's
0: kind of a revenge western if you think yeah. about it you know mm-hmm. pretty much that's what the the premise is but it, you know it, it, all this was uh predicated by uh, Bernie, what was his name?
2: The oh, Bernie Gets.
0: Bernie Gets, yeah, yeah, Bernard Gets, doing his thing on the New York City subway, you know. And then uh, somebody wrote a book, and then they adapted the book to for the first uh, uh, Death Wish for the first Death Wish. Yeah,
2: yeah. I even think people compared Bronson to Bernie Gets in a way. He he publicly said he's like, no, don't, <laughs> that's not me. Don't do this, people, don't do this.
0: In one of the photos I sent you, Chris, it's it it's from the Daily News, and the the heading is. Yes. I'm not a vigilante. Yeah. yeah so People were st- was probably were trying yeah. to identify him with Bernard Getz. He says, I'm not this. No. I'm an actor.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you keep the zip gun
0: from the movie? No, that was a prop. that I was uh. not allowed to take home. I don't think I would have been able to bring it on on the airplane anyway.
1: Oh, that's true.
0: Back then. But uh, who knows?
2: Yeah. Did you did you uh, take away anything else? Uh, any, anything from the the set?
0: No, just the, just the posters and the, you know, the, uh, the one sheets, the, oh, the nice. photos that I sent you. I took, I took a bunch of those home. I had a stack, and I gave them out here in New York. Oh, nice. I just gave those out. I had a stack of the ones of Charles. Not the one that, uh, that uh, Doug has behind him. It's the one where he's shooting right, and I'm looking left.
1: Uh, okay. It's that
0: photo. Okay. So I, I gave those. And people keep saying, do you have any more? Do you have any more? I couldn't believe how big the fan base was. It was massive. Hey,
2: it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. To your happy place For a happy price
1: Go to your happy price Priceline
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this this movie's wild. It's always the people I talk to uh, online who are Charles Bronson fans, this is always like their top three movie. I, it's definitely one of mine.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. It, it was a ton of fun, even though the script wasn't the greatest, but yeah. I never had so much fun on a set before.
1: Yeah. Like uh, Charles's line when he says, Chicken chicken's good.
2: I like chicken. <laughs> Give me more chicken. That's good chicken. Man. He shows up on the date. He's like, the guy at the store said, this wine was very good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was great. He was, what a great guy to work with. Oh my God. Such, what a gracious actor. I mean, I've, I've, you know, been in this business since forever and I've seen actors that are, you know, not so nice. And then actors yeah. that are superhuman beings. And he was one of those. Wow
2: was he Was he approachable to, to people like uh, like for people, people were watching on the set? Was,
0: was um the crew and the actors could approach him, and we had on occasion on on some of the sets it was open to the street, but they were cordoned off, and people were yelling and screaming and every once in a while, and every once in a while he would go over and sign autographs and then come back and work, but they kept that to a minimum, and he always had a bodyguard on set. There was mm-hmm. always someone to, to take care of him and Jill and the girls as a just in case. Cause you never know. There's, there's always yeah. some psycho. Yeah, I, yeah. Might try to size, try something stupid.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then after that, in between there, the next movie on your IMDb, which I'm still you're, I'm sure
0: you're, were you doing theater at all still? Uh, I was dabbling here and there. Um, But I was trying to concentrate on uh, the writing aspect of it. Nice. When I was at law and order, I started out as a set PA and then I did that for a year. And then after that year, I said, well, this is good. Uh, I know what this is about. Let me go see what else is happening. They kept calling me back. Loan order kept saying, we need you. We need you. We need you. Nice. I ended up working for the camera department. I ended up working for the art department. I ended up working for the locations department. I ended up working in the production office as a production PA. I ended up as the production secretary, the assistant production coordinator, Uh, became pregnant and wanted to have a baby and didn't want to do television anymore. So the coordinator said, do you want the job? I said, sure, I'll take the job. While that was happening, I was able to work both sides of the street. I was fortunate enough to be a coordinator and work in front of the camera. But not only on the original law and order, but on Special Victims Unit and on criminal intent as well. So I was able to work both sides of the street, and I was very happy that I could do that. I, I'm a Writer's Guild member, and I'm also a Screen Actors Guild member at the same time. Nice. But all that time, I was working on my writing, working on my writing, working my writing. I wrote two specs for the show. There's a director who gets his fourth Iraq-themed script, and he doesn't want to do it because he's tired of doing Iraq-themed scripts. So uh, one of the producers says, Joe's got a script. Why don't we do one of Joe's scripts? So they're passing out my script and I'm saying, holy moly, I'm about to be a published writer, a published TV writer. So it goes out, they send it to LA. I come, this is on a Wednesday. And I I remember like it was yesterday. I come in on Thursday morning and one of the uh, executive producers calls me into his office. And I I said, before he opened his mouth, I said, I know exactly what you're going to say. They're not going to do it, right? He said, no, they're not. And I said, between you and me without blowing gas up my ass, which was the better of the two scripts? He says, yours. I said, that's all I needed to know. (laughs) Because, I mean, the politics of dancing in the business is what it is. Right. But I knew that my work could get me work in the business. So I knew I was on the right path. So I was in a good place. I was looking at a place to work there.
1: That's great.
2: Were they recurring characters? Uh, Sergeant yeah. Martinez, they were yeah. kind of, just, uh, you, you were on the scene whenever there was a body. Because I, I, I watched a few of those episodes and like whenever there was a body, you would show up.
0: Yeah, the, the recurring on the original was uh, Sergeant Martinez. Although I, I did a couple of other things. I was a uh, parking lot attendant and uh, I, I remember doing an episode and we're shooting out in Brooklyn and it's Friday. It's the last day of the episode. It's Friday, and by Friday everybody's fried, and it's a night shoot, right? So it's uh, the Bells, Richard Belzer, and Ice T, right? So now they come up and it's the last scene, and it's the only scene that I'm working on. I'm playing a bartender, and they're you know they're digging for information. So the director comes up and he says, All right, Gonzalez, don't fuck this up. All right, we're all tired, we all want to go home. So don't you mess up. And then Belzer comes over, he says, yeah, that's right. Don't you mess up. And then Ice T jumps in and says, Yeah, you better not mess this up. Pressure, right? So we go and we roll sound, we roll camera, and I nail the scene. Nail it. Right? And now the director and Ice T and Belzer saying, shit, he nailed it. What do we do now? Take two. And I nailed the second take as well. Then we turned around on the cops and we were out of there. It was fun. Very nice. No, yeah. Some great directors. uh, uh, Gus Macris, who's uh, done a ton of things. Chris Messiano, who was uh, uh, big on uh, The West Wing. Oh, nice. David Platt. Oh, my God. Dave Platt, who started out as a sound guy on New York Undercover, uh, one of his first shows. He became a big-time director. And that was all because of uh, Ed Sheeran, who, who let all Ed Sharon, the director, not the musician <laughs> yeah. uh, who let all those guys, you know, come up through the ranks. You know, there were guys that were were grips and guys that were electricians and guys that were sound guys. And he, he all gave them a shot and they've moved on to bigger and better. That was a great place to work at the time.
1: Nice. That's great that they do that. And I have to ask, like when I was looking at your that you worked on Bosch, I interviewed Crate and Barrel, Greg and, uh, and Troy. Oh, yes. Yeah, sure. They just announced that they are going to be on two episodes of the spinoff, which is great. But yeah. but your two seasons, I the thing I loved about that show, when I was doing research for interviewing them, I was like, I got to check it out because I always do that. Yeah, when I talk to people and I was like hooked. That first season with Jason Gedrick, that whole character. Oh, he was great. Everything about it. That's so cool. How did that come about? Was it your connection working on... Treme
0: with uh, Eric Overmeyer? Or? Well, here's the thing. Eric was uh, one of the showrunners on the original Law and Order. And he oh. and I, uh, he, his office was the best film library in the world, book-wise. He had the, the greatest library. And I would borrow stuff left and right, you know, in return to make sure I, I returned it and returned it in, in nice shape. And uh, we built a rapport. And... Uh, I would do for law and order. The writers would come to me for a Spanish translation. I would translate whatever the Spanish was for all the writers. So they would write the line in English and I would translate it in Spanish, but I would also do the research because I would say, well, where is he? Puerto Rican? Is he Cuban? Is he from Nicaragua? Is he, you know, Dominican? Because all the colloquialisms and all the slang is different. So I would give them all back. So Eric left and was working on a bunch of stuff. And then I knew that he was down in uh, Louisiana working on Treme with uh, David Simon uh, and James Yashimura, another great writer. And so 2010, uh, the original Law and Order is not being renewed. It's after, And this is 20 seasons. So I said, well, I, I need a job. So I emailed Eric uh, when Treme got picked up for season two. And I said, hey, I heard you got a pickup. Uh, you know, I'd love to write for you. And he emails me back. He says, I don't have a slot because they're all taken. But do you want to come down and be my assistant? I'm in Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> Ten months working on Treme. It was great. I mean, I did Mardi Gras. I did all of Louisiana. I went out to, I went out to an LSU game. It was like the, the cathedral of football. It was like a religion. I was like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. And the food, I went down, I was 185. I came back, I was 220. (laughs) Okay, so that's how much the food, how great the food was. So I worked with Eric that one season on Treme. And I come back to New York uh, 2011, and my mom is now terminally ill. And so I took a break from the business to take care of mom. Mm -hmm. And Mom transitions, and I said, Okay, well, I gotta get back on the horse. And I see that Eric is doing Bosch for Amazon. So I emailed Eric, hey, you know, I you know I'd love to write for you. He says, uh, we should talk when I'm back in New York, because he was in LA working with uh Mike Connolly, the, the novelist, and they were putting together the show Bible and, and the pilot episodes. So Uh, He comes back to New York. He says, hey, let's go have coffee. So we go have coffee. So I'm thinking, no, because what he emails me while he's setting up the pilot is, can you translate the Spanish for me? I said, yeah, not a problem. Just like I did on Law & Order. Did the translation from, sent it back. He verifies it with the Mexicans because they're Chicanos and that slang and those colloquialisms are different, right? So uh, Eric asks the actor that's speaking the line, he says, is this correct? The actor says, yeah, absolutely. So I was proud that, that the actor verified my bonus fides. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric comes back to New York and he says, "Uh, and I'm thinking it's more, he says, let's talk. I'm thinking it's more Spanish translation. So we're waiting for his daughters to come out of uh, ballet class. And uh, he says, uh, how would you like a job as a staff writer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And those two seasons were probably the best, education number one but the most fun uh, I had as a writer I mean they just they elevated my work because I imitated what they were doing and I mean uh the writers were just amazed like I said before Pelicanos Andy Schneider and Diane frolov who are now running Chicago med with a patha and uh, with Oliver Platt who I studied with uh, with Julie Bavaso. Uh he and I were in the same acting class no way. Um, David Simon down on Treme, uh, uh, James Yashimura, who wrote an episode that won an Emmy called Subway with Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, and it was featured on a PBS doc where they they uh, uh, compared Subway with an episode of Nash Bridges. And Subway was miles ahead. And I mean, the script was so much better. And Nash Bridges won the night in the demo. It, with the with the ratings and i was like really Why? Well, i well you know i guess people like crap as well so <laughs> but but jimmy Yashimore, great writer david simon amazing writer as well we even had anthony bourdain come down because a lot of the stuff in Tremaine was about food so anthony bourdain came down and he was a consultant on one of the episodes <laughs> and um, and like i said before the food oh my god the food just was on and on and on it was amazing it truly was What great experience on Tremaine. Do you prefer writing to acting? I have a passion for putting words on paper. Mm-hmm. And the best feeling is when you have an actor saying your words. There's, I can't explain how it feels, but it is an amazing feeling. The second great thing was that on my episodes, usually ride herd on your episode, right? So I was riding herd on my episode. <clears throat> And I had Titus Walliver come over to me and say, hey, Joe, this line, I know you want to pay homage to one of your friends because you're giving that name uh, one of your friends, right? He said. I said, yeah, yeah, I wanted you to, I'm giving Jerome Williams, you know, some some kudos. And he says, do you mind if I change the line? And I said, tell me what you want to say, he tells me. And I said, no, that works. It's in the same context. Go for it. He goes back, he delivers the line as he wants. The other executive producer that was on set comes over to me and says, he, he never comes and asks me. Here I am, I'm a staff writer, this guy's an exec and he's not getting asked the question. <laughs> and I was like, what, what do you mean? How did they not come to you? And, and it happened again with, uh, with uh, Jamie Hector. We're shooting out in San Pedro and we're going to the orphanage where Bosch's character, where, where Bosch grew up, he grew up in the same orphanage. So Bosch is getting all these, you know, messed up flashbacks about his history. And uh, Jamie Hector had a, a question about how should I approach Bosch when we're going back? And I know that he's having all these flashbacks of where he was going. I said, you have to, you have to coddle him. But don't be so coddling that he recognizes it, that he sees it. Just string him along and be gentle with your questions. Don't be over the head. He says, oh, okay, I got it, I got it. And then the same thing happens. The, exec, the other exec comes over and says, never ask me any questions. I said, what do you mean <laughs> they don't ask you questions? How do they not ask you questions? And so that I felt really proud that the actors would come to me, that the stars of the show, would come to me and actually ask for, for advice and for help on, on on their character and on delivering their lines.
1: People love you. You're Joe the Yank. Everyone <laughs> loves you, <Dan>. On both <laughs> sides of the ocean. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned before about acting classes. Oliver Platt, was he going to NYU or is he a New York guy? No, no, no.
0: Uh, at the time, he was a New York guy. Wow. Uh, I was studying with Julie Bavaso. And this was before... I went, to, I went back to NYU. So Julie Bavaso had an acting class. One of my, I think my agent, Jerry Kahn, had said, you should, you should take a look at Julie. So Julie, I mean, she was a great actress, number one. But number two, she knew how to get the performance out of you. I remember my first day there, there was, uh, you know, you presented material. And there was an actor who wanted to do poetry. And Julie said, yeah, okay, not a problem. The actor reached into a bag and pulled out a bunch of poems on paper. And Julie said, no, 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 not on paper. You, if you do it from your head, it's, uh, it, it's okay. And uh, the, the actor was saying, I don't know it, I don't know it. And Julie said, hold on. Julie goes to her bag, pulls out the check from the actor, goes over to the actor and says, you don't want to be here. You don't need to be here. I don't need your money. Thank you very much. And that actor was done. So she, for, for lack of a better word, she was so real. And she was not full of shit and she wouldn't allow you to bullshit her. And she knew exactly when you were trying to. So she would cut to the quick. She was like the, the female version of Bill Hickey. You know, she could she could cut right through. So, um, Oliver Platt was in the class. Uh, Anthony Dennison, who who did uh, Crime Story in Chicago with, um, oh, uh, what was the actor that was on our show? Uh, It'll come to me in a minute. Um, But he did Crime Story in Chicago, and then he did the Vegas version of Crime Story. So Anthony Dennison was in my class, and it was great working with those guys. On occasion, John Turturro would come in. And she would have other actors come in. It was an amazing, uh, amazing place to to exercise your acting muscle. But I always had a passion for putting the words on paper. Always. Mm -hmm. Cool. You still, um, obviously, you're always
1: writing. Yeah. Are you writing anything right now? Do you write more like TV series, like
0: pilots? or Are you trying to write any like movie scripts? Oh, well, here's the thing. I've had, I have a supernatural thriller that's been optioned twice. Um, The producers that do, you know, the supernatural horror thriller genre love the material, but I've yet to have one of them actually pull the trigger financially. So I know my work is good if I'm attracting their attention, number one. Number two, I continue to write pilots. My genre is more psychological crime thriller. Uh, So I've got a couple of pilots in the pipeline. I wrote probably the best thing that I wrote, and this is while I was on Bosch in, in California, I was sitting with a friend, having an ice cream and I looking across the street and there's a church steeple cross at the top and it hit me. I said, what if Jesus was to actually come back in human form? Uh-huh. What would that do <laughs> to number one, Christ- Christianity and Catholicism? but what would it also do to the political landscape of the, of that industry and what would it do to the worldwide industry of religion so i wrote a pilot and it was anonymous content that took a look at it and loved it but they couldn't get anybody to to come on board with it and it's it's the second coming it's jesus come back but i do it in a way where We start out on the old Hebron road going to old Jerusalem, and there's this massive explosion, and it kills a whole bunch of people. One of the bodies in the morgue reanimates, and it's our hero, right? But here's the thing. He doesn't know where he is or what's going on. He's in this modern uh, building with modern things. He even has trouble opening a door because he doesn't know how to open it. Uh, makes it outside of the building, and all of a sudden he gets this cacophony of cars and trucks and all this traffic, and it it overwhelms him, and he faints. Now they bring him back to the hospital, but now they cannot find any record of him at all. There are no records, anything. There's no internet record. They're, this guy's an enigma, right? And he he's armed with. I arm him with a few more tools in that. He learns languages super fast, and he also has the power to heal by touch, right? But when he does that, what happens is that he kind of goes into your brain and sees you from the inside, right, and learns everything about you that way. So what happens is that he gets – so now the, the, the Mossad and the Israeli uh, Secret Service – don't know what to do with this guy. So they bring in the CIA and they say, do you, do you have this guy? Never saw him before. So what happens is he escapes with the help of a nurse and now he becomes a fugitive. Right. And I bring in the Arab spring and he's going through Cairo and they're hunting him down. Now he becomes a fugitive. But while he's doing all that, he's starting to build a following and it's, not because he's, he wants to, is that he's healing people along the way. And those people are saying, you have to meet this guy, but nobody knows where he is or where he's going. So it becomes a thing where I finally get him out of Egypt and I bring him around the world and he continues to do his thing. And he becomes the, the most hunted fugitive in the world. There's a scene where the CIA is in with him at the hospital. And the CIA director or the CIA agent suffers a heart attack. And our hero comes off of the table, off of his bed, and heals him and brings him back to life. Right? So now they're examining his blood. They're examining his – they're doing a full physical on our hero. Because how does he have this power to bring this guy back? But after he escapes, he becomes the most hunted man in the world. Wow. (laughs) And then I ended the series after about five seasons. And what I do is I have him on Fifth Avenue in front of St. Patrick's uh, Christmas night. Right. And he's surrounded by cops and they're they're trying to, uh, you know, they're trying to arrest him. And they're all scared of him because they don't know what his powers are. They end up shooting him. They end up killing him right there in front of St. Pat's on Fifth Avenue. So they take the body back and now they're trying to explain it. So they, they said, well, you know, we should go back and re-examine the body. When they go back to re-examine the body, it's gone. Wow! All right. So that was, that was uh, what I'm pitching so far. And hopefully somebody will pick it up.
2: Wow. Very nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Then I've got some other stuff that's out there too, that uh, I kind of like, I've got American rabbit hole, which kind of combines our current political state, with someone undermining all the politics using virtual reality and psychotropics and psychedelic drugs. So I don't know if you remember, there was a scientist who supposedly fell out of the window of the Penn Hotel on 33rd Street or across the street from uh, Madison Square Garden back in 1933. And he was one of the scientists on the uh, psychedelic, the CIA psychedelic, what they were trying to do is use uh, LSD and all that stuff as to weaponize it uh, it, during the cold war. And so I use the same thing, but I use uh, psychedelics and virtual reality and it's in DC and I interweave the VR. It's kind of like the bad guys are creating Manchurian candidates, but you never know who it is. Because it could be a housewife, it could be a teacher, it could be a parking lot attendant, it could be a politician, it could be anybody. And now we're trying to find out who who's behind it and why. Mm. So that's American Rabbit Hole.
1: All right, that's cool.
2: Yeah, it's it's real nice to hear that that you've really been, you know, keeping busy. You know, since Death Wish Three, you know, Joe the Yank is is doing <laughs> everything, everything now. That's great. That's real really great to hear.
0: Well, all those experiences just lend to. The well that I can dip into for material, yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I just grab all that stuff and use it. You know, write what yeah, you know. That's great. So that's
2: what I try to do: is write what I know. Yeah, I, I'm sure with COVID, you've probably been doing a lot of writing at home,
0: then, right? <laughs> it, if it isn't COVID, it's Cuomo. So yeah, ah.
2: yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like, oh my God, can we get a can we catch a break, please? I'd love to just breathe. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been pretty heavy duty.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Joe, this has been awesome. One thing I always like to ask people is: obviously, you love what you do, and you yeah. it, 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 you're destined to do it because you're passionate for it. Right. Was there any other things you had earlier on before you got into acting that you wanted to do, like career wise? Yeah,
0: you no, know, I think the I think the acting bug hit me first, but at the same time, the writing bug hit me as well. Because if it's not on the page, you can't do it. Yeah. When when I did Death Wish 3, and I said I said before, I, I thought my career was going to take off acting-wise. And when it didn't, I said, mm, you know what it is? There aren't a lot of roles being written for actors like me to play. And if there are, it's the drug dealer or the maid <laughs> or the super with the accent.
1: Yeah.
0: The worst was going into auditions and having the casting agency say, oh, that's good. Can you do it with an accent? Uh, I didn't just get off the boat. I'm born and raised New Yorker. Yeah. You know, you're not asking the Italian actors or the Irish actors uh, to 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 come up with with a, a brogue or with a, an Italian accent. You know, they're Americans. I'm American, too. Why do you want me to why do you want me to, to, to degrade myself? So there was a lot of stuff that I turned down because I just didn't want to be the dope fiend or the drug dealer or the superintendent anymore. You know, yeah. So that was one of my passions. But there's where the writing kicked in. I said, if I can yeah. create the, the roles for me to play, I'll never be out of a job. Mm-hmm. And now with COVID, it's a little tougher. Yeah. Now, knowing your you
2: know, background as a writer now, and we, we we're kind of making fun of some of the lines from Death Wish 3, <laughs> would you, what would you change? Would you? Is there something you would make different or
0: change? I would bring me back. Or I left for ammunition. Oh, definitely. Yes. That's what I would do as the writer. Yeah. I would bring me back and then, then we could wrap up the scene. But yeah. like you said, I, I left and I was like, all right, where did I go? And yeah. I never came back until the end. So yeah, mm-hmm. I would make that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but we got so many memorable
2: lines like the chicken and the.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite is do you remember the scene where Charles sets up the wooden trap in the window? Yes. Yes. And the bad guy comes in, and you hear, boom, and then ah, and then they go over, and him, he and Marty Balsam goes over, mm-hmm. and they look at the board, and there are two white chunks embedded in the board, and Marty says, "What's that?" And Charles says, "Teeth." Teeth. That was the best. I thought that was. I weird.
1: love that. And then the next scene's really cool because it's a really short scene during the day, and then it cuts to night but it's two cops and they're like, we're looking for a robbery suspect. He's, he's missing two (laughs) front teeth. So that
0: was pretty good. actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was a real fun experience. I have to say, I I never had so much fun working on a set in my life. That was probably Mm -hmm. the the, the ultimate, the ultimate fun I had in working. And it wasn't like work. It wasn't like I was working.
1: Yeah.
0: I was just living on that show. It was great.
1: Very nice. And
0: in Canon
1: films. Canon films. To piggyback what Chris said earlier, yeah, in the canon films realm, this is like the most popular movie.
0: Is it really? I, I, I have oh, no yeah, idea. Yeah. And guys, I, I want to thank you for for reaching out to me. I'm I'm. Thanks for saying yes. Would, yeah. I'm, I'm humbled that you would reach out. I, I really am. You humbled me with with your enthusiasm for the material. Oh, that's great. I mean, you
2: know, I wanted to talk to you because I no one knows really what, what happened to you, you know, after that movie, it's, it's, <laughs> where, where did this guy go? You know, what was his career like? You know, I
0: went to the other side of the camera to see what was happening. Yeah.
2: yes. Yeah. So, I mean, for myself, I was curious, I'm sure a lot of other, other people are too. Want to know, you know, what, what happened to Rodriguez? Where, where did he go?
0: Not only that, but I sent my wife into space a couple of centuries in the future. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh man, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time. Me and Chris are like so happy to be able to talk to you and uh just hear about there's so many people I interview, like writers. You see, there's so many gaps. It's it's not like they're not writing, it's just it's so hard to get something, you know, people jerky around with optioning or even actors. There's some actors I interview, they don't act for so long, and they're in a lot, but they're like, you know what? I really want to do theater because that's their passion, yeah. but that doesn't pay the bills.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And you know, this business is what it is. It can be great at times, and it can be it can suck at times. Uh, and there can be times where uh, you're in the desert, and you're not working for a while, and then there can be times where you're turning work down. Uh, and I'd like to go back to that, where where I was turning work down. So I, I'm sure it'll happen again once uh, the COVID is is taken care of, and we can actually go back to being uh, normal human beings and working on set. Yeah. But the the COVID is what's really put a damper on uh, productions. I mean, you've got all the protocols on set and that's kind of tough. So, and, and me as a writer, I want to be on set when my material is being uh, worked. Yeah. So we'll see what happens.
1: All right, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time again. And uh, Yankees, right? You have to be a Yankee fan, right? Totally
0: Yankee fan. Nice. Right. My
2: wrist and pinstripes come out. Nice. nice. Yeah, same here. Nice. Awesome,
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, guys, like I said before, thank you so much for reaching out. I never knew there was so much interest in, in Charles Bronson and Death Wish Street. But hey, now you know. You guys booed me up. I really appreciate you guys reaching out. I'm humbled by that. You got it anytime, Joe. Thank
2: Excellent.
1: you for awesome man.
0: Have My a pleasure. great rest of your day. Likewise, likewise, and the rest of your careers too, guys.
1: Joe the Yank. Joe the Yank was man. He was great to talk to. That was a. I'm so lucky that Chris found us. You know, with his Charles Bronson account, we were tweeting about Death Wish three last year, and just for this opportunity to come up, it was it was great because I love Death Wish three. It really hits home. My dad was a huge Death Wish fan, and we watched these movies so often growing up. He passed away a few months ago, so uh, it was really cool to be able to talk to Rodriguez, and the fact that he was so kind to send us some eight by tens that I uh, so we could you know give them out to fans. He did not understand how many. Movie fans, Canon fans love this movie. It's just it's something special. And his memories from it are so great. And Joe the Yank buying the whole pub around with his per diem in England. So that's it. Don't forget, follow us at sequels only, Chris's Charles Bronson account at Bronson Tweets9. For those contests, we're gonna have to raffle off those. You know, autograph 8x10 sent to us by Joe himself. So, you know what to do. Follow us on all social media at sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.